All right, if I can ask you to open your Bibles, please, to Luke chapter 9. Thank you, uh, many of you have prayed for me this week, just trying to overcome that flu or cold or whatever it's been. I appreciate your prayers for that. I've I've turned the corner these last, I think, yesterday afternoon, but still a little bit wobbly in the knee. By the grace of God, that won't be an issue. Uh, We're going to begin reading in verse number 37 today, Luke chapter 9, verse 37. And I'm going to talk to you this morning by the help of God about faulty faith. Faulty faith. Luke 9 and verse 37, it says here, It came to pass that on the next day, when they were come down from the hill, much people met him. And behold, a man of the company cried out, saying, Master, I beseech thee, look upon my son, for he is mine only child. And lo, a spirit taketh him, and he suddenly crieth out. And it teareth him that he foameth again, and bruising him hardly departeth from him. And I besought the disciples to cast him out, and they could not. And Jesus answering said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you and suffer you? Bring thy son hither. And says in verse 42, and as he was yet a coming, the devil threw him down and tear him. And Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit and healed the child and delivered him again to his father. Verse 43, and they were all amazed at the mighty power of God. But while they wondered, everyone at all things which Jesus did, he said unto his disciples, let these sayings sink down into your ears, for the Son of Man shall be delivered into the hands of men. But they understood not this saying, and it was hid from them that they perceived it not, and they feared to ask him of that saying. So with that being read, let's turn our attention to the Lord for a moment and let's pray. Father, help us now. We have read your holy word, inspired by and preserved by the Holy Ghost. And now we turn also to that same spirit to help us and guide us into all truth. Lord, we we don't want to just read it as the cold letter of the law, but a, a living spiritual word that can change us. Speak to us today, Father. Show us where the faults lie in our faith. And Lord, bring us uh, in line with a, a faith, with a life that is pleasing to you. Speak to us now, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let me just remind you and, and maybe give you a quick review of this chapter so that you can appreciate this story, I hope, to its fullest. At the beginning of the chapter, Jesus has organized his 12 apostles and sent them out. He has equipped them properly. Not only do they know the message, but they also have the ability to do miracles which are meant to confirm the message that they are preaching. After they get back from the preaching trip, thinking they're going to have a break, they sneak off to the desert for some leisure time, but there a multitude is gathered. More than 10,000 people, 5,000 men with their families. They feed the multitude a great miracle. The few barley loaves and fishes now fed over 10,000 and the And the disciples learn that if we just grab a basket, God can do more through us than we even thought possible. On the heels of that, Jesus then asked them, whom do men say that I am? And they know the rumors. Some say you're this, some say you're that. All right, who do you say that I am? 
You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus said, you're right. Absolutely. Now let me tell you this. You know that I'm the Messiah, but did you know that I have to die? And with that, they're taken aback. This is brand new information. And then, after telling them, alluding to the fact that he must go to the cross, he tells them, gentlemen, if you're going to follow me, I require daily commitment, daily devotion. Take up your cross daily and follow me. If you want to save your life, you lose it. One day I'm going to come back in the glory of the Father and with the angels. You'll see me in a different way. You don't want to be ashamed before me on that day. And then we looked at it last week, how Jesus took the inner core of his disciples, those inner three, Peter, James, and John. He took them up on the holy mount, the Mount of Transfiguration, trying to make their faith more sure. You guys remember that from last week's sermon? Gave them various ways that they could be more sure about Jesus as the Messiah and their commitment to him. While Jesus is on the mountain with the inner core, the other disciples in verse number 37, remember they're not on the mountain. Those other guys are having a mountaintop experience. But the other nine are down, let's call it a valley. They're not having that same mountaintop experience and their faith is being tested and tried. And it is often through these trials that we find out sometimes that our faith is a bit faulty. We find out that there are some weak spots in our walk with the Lord, in our ability to serve and to minister not only to Him but to others. These disciples thought they knew Jesus. They thought they had Him, if we can use the term loosely, figured out. But now for a week, they've been struggling to process this new information of the Messiah has to die. We read the story, even after Jesus tells them again, guys, let it sink into your ears, I am going to die. That shows us that they are still struggling with that. Their faith is a bit faulty because they are struggling to accept what Jesus has said about himself. Furthermore, a man has brought a very difficult and serious case to the disciples. Please help me, I'm desperate. They thought that they had the ministry figured out. At the beginning of the chapter, they had gone out on that preaching tour, that evangelistic outreach, and they had healed many and done so many miracles and preached the gospel and seen great results and fed the multitude. And you might start to get the idea, if you're one of them, hey, I got this ministry thing figured out. Man, look at, look at what God can do through me. This is outstanding. And then all of a sudden, something happens in your life, and you went, oh, wait a minute, I thought I knew this. I thought I knew Jesus, I thought I knew the ministry, I thought I knew what it meant to carry the cross, and now your faith gets challenged, and you find it to be a little faulty. I don't know if you've ever driven a car so long that your tires have gone bald. Have you ever had a car that's done that? Now, some, some of you younger guys can maybe appreciate this, and perhaps before you leave today, check your tires. As a younger man, I didn't know to do that, and I didn't have any money to buy new tires anyway, so whether they're bald or not, <laughs> it's what I got. But you understand what a bald tire looks like. You're supposed to have tread there, 
And, and when it goes bald, there's no longer a tread. There's no longer a raised part of it, so it can no longer push the water away. It just slips and slides all over the road. Now, you know what a bald tire looks like. Have you ever driven on the bald tire until, until the steel wires begin to show? I have. I have. Not on purpose. But in Malawi, this was quite common the roads are so horribly bad. You just go and go and go and tires popping, that happens all the time. And tire shops are not in abundance there. They're very expensive. So many people have used tires uh, that you, you just stack them up on the side of the road and you can go and just find the tire you need and pop it on your car. It's a very you know, homemade kind of a business. But buying a tire that is already bald, that's the you know, economic way to go. It's very common to see on a car steel wires sticking out from the sides. And you just know one, one bump in the road and this tire can go. If you are a passenger in that vehicle, your prayer life should go up a notch. <laughs> right? Because you know at any moment, one, I'm one pothole away from seeing Jesus. <laughs> If you are the driver of, the, if you're a passenger, you have cause to be concerned. But if you are the driver of that vehicle and you know other, other people are depending on me to keep this vehicle in decent shape so that I can get them from here to there, I don't want to have faulty tires. I want to have something that will get us from here to there. And if I go out in the morning before I get into my minibus taxi and I'm going to be driving people all day, if I'm a responsible driver, I'm going to check all those tires and make sure that they look right, that they're aired up properly, there's no punctures, they're not flat. I don't want faulty tires. I want to have tires that'll get me from here to there. And I think the disciples perhaps found themselves in a situation here where they thought their tires were okay. And then come to find out a few bumps in the road later, not as good as they thought. Faulty faith will cause a few things to happen. <clears throat> That's what I want to preach to you about from this passage. I want to talk about three things that happen as a result of faulty faith. Some grave accidents can happen. Some bad things. And the first thing we see, it causes a dad to be distressed. A dad to be distressed. In verse 38, 39, and 40, you can see how this father has brought his, his child, his only son, to the disciples trying to get some help. Fathers, all of us, you men in the room that have been privileged to have children, do you understand we are called upon to raise our children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord? That is a huge privilege and responsibility and perhaps you have had the unfortunate experience of watching your children go wrong. Of seeing them take a spiritual nosedive. And you're going to find out from this passage, as a matter of fact, if I can ask you to hold Luke 9, I'd like to show you the other uh, sister texts that go with this. Come to Mark chapter 9, hold Luke 9, get Mark chapter 9, because you're going to see some other parts to the story here. Mark 9 The Bible says that this unclean spirit took this boy. It says a spirit taketh him. Let, let's be clear about this. Please listen to this. An unclean spirit cannot just come upon you 
and take over your mind. Do you understand? It's, it doesn't work like that. The way the spiritual realm works is you have to submit to what is being introduced your way. This is how the Holy Spirit works, by the way. The Holy Spirit does not irresistibly come upon you and cause you to think or do things. The Holy Spirit presents truth. He convinces. He reproves. He teaches. He leads. He guides. But the old saying is you can bring the horse to water, but you can't make him drink. You must yield to the Holy Spirit. You must submit to God in order for God to have any control over your life. And the same is true on the other side of that coin. An unclean spirit has no power over you. It cannot affect you unless you give in to it. And this is true even of children. What we read about in this story is, of course, a very extreme case. Very extreme. But make no doubt, this young boy at some point was introduced to a bad spiritual environment. Now, I don't know. Who is to blame? Is it the dad? Don't know. Where's the mom? Perhaps this is a broken home. Maybe the mom has passed away. We're not sure. We just don't know. All I know is this. The dad is distressed. And, and, and maybe you're here today, and maybe there's problems in the home. I'm not here to throw out this or that accusation or condemnation. Let's not play the blame game. Let's just say maybe you're here and you're distressed. We're going we're to try to help you today. Regardless of what the backstory is, let's try to help you today. Mark chapter 9, let's color in the picture even more. Same story. Jesus, Peter, James, and John have come down from the mountain, verse 14, 15. Verse 16 and he, Jesus, asked the scribes, what question ye with them? So now you understand, the dad is there with the boy. A crowd is beginning to gather. The nine disciples, the apostles of Jesus. And now the scribes are there saying, aha, you Jesus guys, look at you making a mess. You don't have all the answers. And it's becoming a bit of a thing. It's getting ugly. Verse, if you come on down to verse 21, I'm just trying to color in the parts of the story we didn't get in Luke. In verse 21, he asked the father, how long is it ago since this came unto him? And he said, of a child. So this boy is probably preteen or a teenager. And he said, I've been dealing with this since he was young. Not, not months, years. A difficult child. Unruly, if you will. Verse 22, and oft times it hath cast him into the fire and into the waters to destroy him but if thou canst do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Now notice carefully how Jesus handles this. Jesus said unto him, If thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. Jesus didn't say, well, tell me how you've been raising him. Oh, where's the mom? He didn't, he didn't get into what caused it or what brought it. Listen, it's, we're here now. You're, it's a mess. And let's not worry about what caused it right now? Let's worry about fixing it right now. Sure, this man probably needed to learn more about parenting. <laughs> if, if nothing more, at least to prevent this from happening again. But Jesus is going to deal directly with what can be fixed right there and then. He said, sir, if you'll believe, I can fix this. Verse 24, and straightway the father, uh, the father of the child cried out, and said with tears, and what he says has been the cry of my heart and probably your heart on many occasions in our lives. Lord, 
I believe. Help thou mine unbelief. What a profound statement. Lord, I know that with you all things are possible. I know that, but there's a part of me that just doesn't see how or why, how you can or why you would help me or Lord, I've tried so many other things and his faith is a bit faulty and he admits it. You know, that's one of the big steps to fixing the faith is admitting that there's something wrong with it. You're not going to change the tires on your car unless you think it's a problem. You first got to admit, yes, there's a fault there. This is dangerous. If I don't get this right, the whole thing could blow up in my face. I've got to make this right or else I'm not going to get from here to there. Jesus can always help an honest man. Verse 25, when Jesus saw the people came running together, he rebuked the foul spirit, saying unto him, Thou dumb and deaf spirit, I charge thee, come out of him and enter no more into him. This dad was distressed. And we're going to talk more about how Jesus helps, and as you can see, he very much did. But understand, this dad, when he was asked, how, how long has this been going on? Of a child. He had been distressed for years. How many times do you think he prayed for his son? How many times do you think that boy came home with scratches, wounds, bruises, burns, soaking wet, and his dad asked, what happened? He said, dad, I... This and that happened again. How many times do you think that boy fell on the ground, gnashing his teeth, foaming at the mouth, and his dad fell to his knees saying, God, please, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. There's a decent chance that this man had already gone to the religious crowd in Israel, to the scribes, to the Pharisees, to, to the religious leader, to the priests. Please, what can we do? They, they were of no help. You know what this dad done, has done now? He's heard about this Jesus group, and he's heard what they can do. He says, you know what? Maybe there. Maybe this is the answer to my prayers. And he takes his boy, listen to this, to the best church in the world. Didn't he? It was the absolute best church in the world. You're not going to find any better there. That's it. And it just so happens the head pastor was out of town. And his chief assistants were also out of town, <laughs> right? So they, I hate to call them leftover apostles, but they got the leftovers. <laughs> they, they show up and, and, and the dad is, is excited thinking, I have heard great things. And I know that if I can get him to this best church in the world, I can get help. The dad shows up with a big problem, and, and, and this problem is bad. But, but at least, right, up until now, it's been rather hopeless. He's, he's been in despair because he thinks there's no solution to this. No matter how much I pray, no matter who I talk to, nothing works. But then he's heard, this works. Can you imagine the excitement as he brings the, the boy to the disciples? Guys, I've heard that you can do this. I heard some of my friends told me stories about how you help their kids. Could you do it for mine? And they said, sure, yeah, bring them in. Sure, sure, yeah, we'll pray for them. Yeah, absolutely, bring, bring them in. All right, Father, we ask you in the name of Jesus Christ. Father, uh, in, in the name of, of your son, Jesus Christ. Imagine how that father's heart sunk and sunk and sunk 
until the disciples stood back and said, we're, we're so sorry. We, we don't know what's going on. I, I, we've never encountered this. I, every time we've tried this before now, it's, it's, it's worked perfectly. I, uh, I don't know. I, I, I'm so sorry. And the dad said, but, I, but oh no. You know, it's one thing to have a big problem think there's no answer, and then to have a little hope, oh man, okay, got a little hope, but then to have that hope ripped away again, that's where you go from distressed to despair, you get into hopelessness, you throw your hands up and you say, that's it, and now the scribes come in, can you imagine if you're one of the disciples, the pressure you feel, yeah, we can help, sure, bring them this way, we got answers to that problem, sure, yeah. Boom. Oh. Huh. And then the scribes come in and go, uh-huh. You guys following that uh, son of God guy, that Jesus guy, been going around telling everybody you got this power? Mm-hmm. Maybe you don't. And, and if you're one of the disciples, what have you heard just last week? The Messiah's got to die. You know what might start running through your mind? Huh. He gave us this power but now he's going to die. Maybe our powers are fading away. Maybe this whole Jesus movement is about over. He told us to carry the cross, but how? They're stumped. They're confused. Look at Matthew chapter 17. You know what I've seen through the years? Many, many times. And perhaps you'll, you'll run into it this month, this coming month in May, when you hand out a tract a day in the month of May. You'll give out a tract, and perhaps you'll invite somebody to church, and you might run into this. And they say, you know what, I used to go to church, but I gave up on it. I gave up on it. I haven't been in church in years. You say, what happened? Well, I was hurt. I was looking for help. And I tried this church, and I tried that church, and I tried this and that. And they, they, they ran the gamut. They tried everything. And they said, you know, I just, there were no answers. I never found the help I needed. I went to church, but I got burned. I found some hypocrites in the church. And they gave up on the church. They gave up on Christ because they met some disciples with faulty faith. Notice what Jesus has to say here, Matthew chapter 17. Matthew 17 and verse 19. Jesus now has rebuked the devil in verse 18, cured the boy, verse 19. Then came the disciples to Jesus apart and said, why could not we cast him out? This is a private lesson. It was a public spectacle, embarrassing. The scribes, the the whole crowd. Oh, this is shameful. Jesus, what did we do wrong? Verse 20. Jesus said unto them, because of your unbelief. You guys had faulty faith. You guys had faulty faith. Thank God Jesus stepped in and fixed this up. Can you imagine if Jesus hadn't shown up? How this situation might have bled through town going, yep, that crowd doesn't have the answers. Because of your unbelief, for verily, now watch it, we learn a lot here, for verily I say unto you, if ye have faith... 
as a grain of mustard seed, ye shall say unto this mountain, Remove hence to yonder place, and it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible unto you. Here they are with weak, shaky, faulty faith. And he says, guys, you can remove mountains if you needed to. (laughs) After we just failed, (laughs) you're saying we can do that? I don't. That's where our faith gets faulty. Ah, come on. If I can't do this, how could I do that big thing? He said, guys, you need faith as a grain of mustard seed. Verse 21 Watch it careful. How be it? How be it? So, so what's, the, what's the normal case? The normal case, just apply the faith. We'll talk more about that. And it gets the job done. But this kind, verse 21, how be it this kind goeth not out but by prayer and fasting. Some spiritual cases are a little more difficult than others. Some problems are bigger than others. Amen? You can't fix everything over a WhatsApp discussion. Some things are, are, it's bigger than just, hey, what's the verse on that? Oh, boom, done, problem solved. It's bigger than that. Jesus said, guys, listen, the problem here is unbelief. Do we need more faith? He said, you need faith as a grain of mustard seed. You know how we read that oftentimes? We read that and say, I need to produce more faith in myself. I need to believe stronger, believe more. Where does our faith come from? Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. You need faith as a grain of mustard seed. If God gives you one little promise, that's all you need. Because if God said, this is what I can do through you, then you need that one little seed. And with that one promise, with that one seed, if you will apply it properly, you could help even, even the most difficult cases. The, the, the faith here, the seed, is what God has said to us. Didn't the Bible say that all the promises of God in Christ are yea and amen? We can be extremely sure of anything God has said. Yes. You know why the dads in this world are distressed? Why people suffering, grieving in life, coming to church, looking for help, and walking away hopeless. You know why? Because they come to a church, but within the church, there's disciples that are not fully believing what God has said. They walk in, and and instead of having victory and joy, we're struggling and drowning in despair and depression ourselves because of a lack of the application of what God has said. Watch this. You take a seed put it in my hand, what good is it? Nothing. It's, it's, it's no good. It does nothing until what? I have, to, I have to plant it. I have to do some work, right? I have to take that seed. I have to do some work. I have to put it in the ground, yes? And then I have to cultivate it and water it and that seed just tossing it in the ground. I got to put it in the ground and carefully watch over it. And then I need patience. A seed requires work and patience. Sometimes, listen to this please, sometimes the problem is so big and bad, the distressed dad brings the problem, please help me. The apostle cannot just one prayer, out you go and you're done. Perhaps things have become so desperate in your life, you need some serious work. 
You, you need some counseling. You need several sermons. You need church for six months. You need the help and fellowship of the assembled saints to get you through that tough time. You know what he says? This kind, this kind, this particular problem. Disciples, don't beat yourself up too much. Yes, you had shaky faith. You forgot that I said you could cast out devils. You, you failed. It didn't work as quickly as you thought, so you thought that my promise to you failed. My promise didn't fail. It just didn't happen as fast as you wanted it to. So because you planted the seed of what I said, I said you could cast out devils. And then you went to do it, and the fruit didn't pop up as quickly as you thought, and then you backed up and went, okay, because it didn't happen right away, must be wrong. Well, that's faulty faith. This kind comes out how? By prayer and what? That doesn't happen immediately. Disciples, what's he saying? Some of these problems, some of these people are so distressed, so despairing of hope that they need you to walk a mile with them. And maybe twain, maybe you need to go the extra mile with this person because they're hurting so bad, their problem requires a little extra time and attention. It's not one prayer and done. Yes, my promise is still legitimate. Yes, you can cast out devils, but this kind, you're also going to have to put a little bit of spiritual backbone to it, a little bit of oomph. A little bit of oomph. You're going to have to take your time and pray your way through this promise. Be why? Because the dads of the world are distressed and they need disciples who are willing to patiently work at their faith. Not all promises are just, okay, God, I claim it, now it's done. We need to be willing to do something about what Jesus has said. Church, can I say this? We mustn't buckle under the weight of the cross God has given us to carry. If he's called us to do it, we can do it. If he said we can pray and remove a, remove a mountain, we can Say, but I, I, I don't, I've never seen that happen. Okay, maybe it's not happened as quickly as you want. Have you ever thought of this? God, please remove that mountain. And God says, okay, there's a shovel. There's a pick. Go remove it one chop, one scoop at a time. God can pick it up all at once and move it. Sure, sometimes your problems will all at once. Done. And then other problems, you're just going to have to swing and dig a while. But one way or another, God will provide what you need to get that job done. And the world that is grieving and in distress needs to see a church filled with disciples that have strong enough faith to say, God, even if it's not fast, it's worth it. I'll go that extra mile. Let's not buckle under the weight of such a privilege. Let's prayerfully and joyfully take on the challenge of being a city set on a hill for a desperate world. Another thing that happens, if you'll come back to Luke chapter 9, verse number 41, faulty faith causes the dad in this story to be distressed. Understandably so. But faulty faith also causes Jesus to be disappointed. And perhaps that is a gentle term to use. Verse 41 Jesus answering, o uh, said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you 
and suffer you. If I can give you another phrase that would also be saying the same thing, it's actually another way you can translate that. When he says, how long shall I suffer you? We would say, how long shall I put up with you? The word suffer, I think, is even better because it indicates that while he's putting up with you, you're hurting him. Jesus is not trying to be ugly. He's trying to be honest. He's trying to accurately tell these people how he, has, how he feels, how he has been made to feel through their faulty faith. What's the first thing he says? Oh, faithless and perverse generation. I, perhaps you can put a different word in there. Disappointed, I think, is the mild version. Disturbed. I think disgusted could also work. It depends on where you're at on the spectrum of depravity. (laughs) Oh, faithless and perverse generation. Jesus makes a statement about everybody there. Not just the dad, not just the disciples, not just the scribes. He makes a general statement about the whole show. So first things first. Church, can we just be honest about something? Let's, let's, Let's have some backbone as we receive this this morning, okay? Jesus is capable of these kind of emotions. Jesus can be disappointed with you. Okay, can we accept that? I, I, I know we, we live in such a thin-skinned generation to say the slightest thing like that can just destroy some people because they've been taught their whole life that Jesus would never, he, would, he could never be possible, never would he think that way about me. But he can. What what did he say in verse 26? Whosoever shall be ashamed of me and of my words, of him shall the Son of Man be what? It is possible for Jesus to be ashamed of you. Do you understand this morning? I'm not saying any of that to be ugly, just to bring to the forefront the reality of the Jesus of the Bible. That he is capable of such things. He can feel that way towards people. Now granted, when he looks down at the horrible depravity and sin of the world, there's a bit of a spectrum as to how angry he would be with the wicked. But the Bible says in Psalms, God is angry with the wicked every day. How could he not be? How could he not be? He says, oh, faithless and perverse generation. Perverse means it's twisted, it's corrupt. It is not the way God intended it to be. How did they end up twisted and corrupt, faithless? They did not believe what God said about that part of their life, about how society should operate, how a marriage should operate, how a church should operate, how a heart should operate. And when society distorts reality in such a way, so contrary to the nature of God, it disturbs him. It bothers him. And Jesus rightfully tells the people, just being honest, how long am I going to put up with this? Say, but you know, I can see how Jesus would be upset with unsaved people and godless people. What did Jesus say to the church of the Laodiceans? I would you were cold or hot, so then because thou art lukewarm, I will spew thee out of my mouth. That's strong language. Another uh, just to say it in a different way, you make me sick. And again, I'm not, I'm not bringing these things out just to be ugly. This is not a gotcha moment. 
I'm just showing you the, what, what Jesus is capable of feeling towards his people. Those are people, by the way, that are in a church in Revelation 3. He says, some of you make me sick. Now, now, I've given you that part. I want to give you the full picture. I don't want you to think that Jesus is up there completely fed up with you, ready to just toss you aside because that's not the case. Listen to this. If you truly love somebody, you are opening yourself up to be hurt by that person more than any other person. Do you understand that? When you say to your spouse, I love you, that is a, that is a courageous statement to truly mean it, to say to that person in all honesty, I love you. That means that person now has the capability of hurting you more than the next person. If that person, if some other person in this world can act horribly in your presence and it does not cause any emotions in you, that means you don't care about that person. I don't care what you're doing. Help yourself. Live your life. That is not how Jesus feels towards you. Because of his intense love towards you, it bothers him when you act perverse. Does that make sense? So you know what Jesus said to that same church in verse 16, he says, I'll spew thee out of my mouth. In verse 19, he says, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. He says, I'm telling you this with strong language so that you know how much I love you. I don't want you to continue down this path. I have seen some faults in your faith and I want you to bring these things right. Jesus does not feel some fleeting fascination or infatuation with us. It's not puppy love. Jesus didn't look down at us and go, oh, look how cute they are. I think I love them. <laughs> That's not it. Jesus loves us so much, right? Listen, when we act contrary to him, it causes a deep pain in his heart, grief. It causes him to suffer. Remember this verse? Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God. If Paul tells us not to grieve him, that means that we can. And perhaps you need to check your tires today. Say, so you know what? I've been riding a while. I've been going a long distance. It's been a while since I've gotten out and checked my tires. They might be threadbare. They might be bald. My, my faith might have some weak spots in it. And at any moment, this huge pothole of life is going to expose me for, for who I truly am and how faulty my faith is. And, and when that happens, I'm going to hurt the heart of God. Faulty faith disappoints the Lord. L listen to this. When the prodigal son came home, what did he say? He said, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against thee. What was the father's response? He puts a robe on him, ring, shoes, slay the fatted calf. He tells the entire household, rejoice and be merry with me. Listen to what he said. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. We look at that and we think, well, the father just completely ignored everything the prodigal son had done and just received him in and that was it. No, no, the father was fully aware of how distressing his prodigal son's situation was. 
that father knew he was dead, spiritually dead and lost. But that is what caused the great joy. And this brings me to the last thing I want, to, I want you to see in the passage. Yes, Jesus can be disturbed, dis, he can be disappointed, even disgusted. But faulty faith also causes something else. And, and I hope you've stuck with me because this is where I think the story gets really good. Faulty faith causes the dad to be distressed, lose hope. It causes Jesus to be disturbed, but it also causes the disciples to be down, but not done. Faulty faith will cause you to be down, but not done. So in in Matthew's gospel, you can see this in verse 45, actually, is where we'll take a look in a moment, but... In Matthew's gospel, it says that the disciples were exceeding sorry. After Jesus said, this happened because of your unbelief. Guys, you you just didn't stick with it. If you would have put in the backbone of prayer and fasting, you could have seen this promise come to pass. This is on you. They were exceeding sorry. And then Luke chapter 9, let's get verse 44. Let these sayings sink down into your ears. Guys, just, just... pictured in your mind. He's there with them. He looks at the nine. He gets them square in the eyes. He says, guys, let this sink in. Let this sink down into your ears. You know how we might put it today? Get this through your thick skull. (laughs) Let this saying, or let these sayings sink down into your ears, for the Son of Man shall be delivered into the hands of men. You know why he says it again? That's what they've been struggling with for a week. Guys, accept it. This is part of it. This is part of me. You can't have this, this dream version of reality where the Messiah doesn't die. You can't have this dream version of your life where nothing ever goes wrong. Not everything's going to work out the way you had hoped. I am going to die. Let that sink in. In verse 45, it says, They understood not this saying, and it was hid from them, that they perceived it not, and they feared to ask him of that saying. Why? In the other gospel, they were exceeding sorry. They felt so bad. They were so ashamed of how all of this had taken place. And they want to ask him, but they're afraid to. They're down. This is a low point. Right? This is a low point. You know why it was hid from them? They wanted to know more about this whole dying thing, but it was hid from them, listen to this, because they didn't ask. They were too afraid to ask. You know why a lot of folks don't grow in their faith? They hit a few bumps in the road, a tire or two pops on them. They have a few faults in their faith. It didn't work out the way they had hoped. They're not the disciple they thought they were. They get discouraged and think, ah, I'm just not a very good Christian. And rather than asking the necessary questions and getting the help they need to grow in their faith and to get it back where it needs to be, they just back off and go, I don't want to be embarrassed again. Let me not admit just how little I know. The disciples were down, but not done. It was a low point, but not a finishing point. You know what you learn from this? 
Jesus had told them, I'm going to die. They get faulty. You know what he did? He said it again. Now, guys, you just messed up in a big way. This got ugly. And if I hadn't been here, it really would have been bad. Now, listen, guys, listen, listen. Let it sink in. This is how we're moving forward. You know what that tells us? Even though Jesus might have been disappointed, he wasn't done with them. Even though they might have had four bald tires with wires sticking out of each side, he was not done with them. He said, guys, we can get some new tread on those tires. I am here to tell it to you again. If you need to hear the same truth again, I will tell you again if we need to plant another seed in the ground so that maybe this seed doesn't get snatched away by some fowl of the air or choked by some thorn of the world, if this is the seed that's going to take and bring forth fruit, let it sink in. Here we go again. This is how it is. Jesus does not give up on them. Listen to this. They didn't give up on themselves. Now, the disciples had many more rebukes in their future. They had many more failures ahead of them. Many more times did Jesus have to reprove them for their faulty faith. Look in verse 46. We'll talk about it next time. But then there arose a reasoning among them, which of them should be greatest. Oh, good grief, guys. <laughs> okay, now Jesus is trying to encourage you, but you've overshot the mark. You've overcorrected. He just pointed out you had some faulty tires, you had some bald tires, now you think you got these monster truck tires. I got a tire that'll never pop. I... Guys, they didn't understand ambition, they didn't understand initiative, they didn't understand Jesus' interpretation of greatness, they still had a lot to learn. Just because your faith is faulty today does not mean God is finished with you. It means he'll, he might just have to sit you down and say, listen, listen, let us sink in. This is what you need to know. This is what you need to know. On Paul's first missionary journey, he took with him his mentor, Barnabas. Tonight, come to Bible school. We'll teach you more about that in Acts chapter 9. Paul and Barnabas go out on their first missionary journey. They have a young man helping them, name of John Mark. John Mark is Barnabas' nephew. And they're out on this mission journey and seeing people saved and miracles happening and a church is starting and part of the way through the journey, John Mark, for whatever reason, we're not told, he left and he went back. Now some time passes, months go by, and eventually, Paul and Barnabas are ready to go on another missions journey. Barnabas says, hey, how about my uh, nephew Mark? You want to take him along again? He can carry the bags or something. Paul said, no, sir. I'm not having that guy along. Now, we don't know. We don't know what the reason was. We know this, though. Mark caused a rift between Paul and Barnabas so that they could not even work together in the ministry. The Bible says they argued, they chode, and they separated. Paul took Silas, Barnabas took Mark, and off you go with now two mission groups. What if you're Mark? What if you're Mark? If you're Mark, 
And you're out on that mission. Okay, thank you, Uncle Barnabas. Thank you, um. <laughs> when Barnabas helped me so much, he gave me another chance. But Paul is so disappointed in me. I, I have hurt Paul. I have disgusted Paul. And he knows that first mission journey, I wonder if, I wonder if we could have gotten more done if I hadn't have quit. You know what John Mark did? Rather than beating himself up for the rest of his life, he just got back up, dusted himself off, said, let's make the most of what we got now. And he hooked his wagon there to Barnabas, and off he goes ministering. And by the end of Paul's life, here's what Paul says, take Mark and bring him with thee, for he is profitable to me for the ministry. Mark was down. That was a low point in his life when he quit. But he wasn't done. And perhaps you're going to have a tire that pops on you and it's going to get ugly and bad and you're going to need to learn a hard lesson. And you need, to li- you need to hear the difficult truth that Jesus is ashamed of where you're right now at. But he's not done. How did this story end? Think about this. Think about the end of everybody involved in this story. The dad got comforted. The boy got the devil cast out, never to come again. The multitude, verse 43, ends up amazed. And the disciples end up learning a very valuable lesson and usable by God. They had faulty faith, but it wasn't the end of them. So I want to encourage you this morning. Perhaps you need to just step out of the car for a moment and just check your tires. Before you head out the door, check your spiritual tires And see if there's some faulty spots that can perhaps be patched so that no one else gets hurt as we take these next steps. Let's all stand, please. Heads bowed and eyes closed. If I can ask the pianist to come and play, please be in a moment of prayer now. Heads bowed, eyes closed. John Mark is the same man who ended up writing the gospel of Mark now just imagine if he would have had one flat tire and said that's it I'll never drive again that that, my friend is the faultiest faith you can have there's no such thing as a faith that cannot be fixed There's no such thing as a faith that cannot be strengthened. There's no such thing as a faith that cannot be increased. Can I tell you one of the biggest faults that people might have? Is to just assume that their faith is just fine. Just to assume it. I go to church. I read the Bible. I've been in the ministry. So, so had those disciples. Maybe just take a moment and say, Lord, any spots in my life that are displeasing to you? Lord, I don't want you to just put up with me. 
The Lord's going to love you. But you don't want him to be grieved while he does it. Perhaps you're here today and you are that distressed dad. You've been looking for answers, trying to find a way to get your life back on track. You've tried this, you've tried that, nothing seems to work. Friend, if you've not come to the Lord Jesus Christ personally, I cannot promise you that I know of an answer right away that will fix everything. But, but I know that Jesus is the right person to come to. And I know that you'll never regret that. And you'll walk away better than how you came. I can promise you that. You'll walk away different than how you came. So if you've never been saved, after the service, we're going to stick around for a bribe. We've got plenty of time. We're in no rush. If you have questions, even if they maybe need a few minutes, you come let me know. And if I can't help you, we'll find somebody that can. Somebody that can talk to you, walk the path with you. We're asking you to give the Lord Jesus Christ a chance. Perhaps it's not you, but maybe a loved one. And you've been praying for months and years. And you just don't see anything happening. Don't let your faith get faulty. Jesus said the Holy Ghost would touch that person's heart about sin, righteousness, and judgment. Believe that God will do His part. You keep praying. One rock at a time, take that mountain down. Father, thank You for allowing us to take a look at this this morning. Perhaps a good opportunity now. Check our tires. We don't want to go out of here with faulty tires. Lord. We want a faith that will take us down the road. Thank you for your great patience, Lord. And I'm, I'm sorry, Lord, that there are times we grieve you. That's not our intention. Thank you for being so incredibly patient. And I especially want to ask, Father, if there's somebody here not saved, whatever the problem, however it is that they got to this point in their life, help them today. Grab a hold of that life today and change it, please. Father, thank you that we can fellowship as a church. Bless the food and the fellowship to come during our bride. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.